Well, good morning. It's been an awesome morning. Um, I'm just blown away by the quality of leadership that God brings to us as a church with the band and the songs, and um, we're blessed. We're blessed people. We really, truly are, and I'm excited to share with you this morning. I'm going to get right into it, so if you have a Bible, I want you to grab your Bible. If you have a Bible app on your phone, I want you to grab that, and we're going to go to the book of Ephesians this morning. If you don't have a Bible with you, we do have some on the back table, on the information table. Grab one of those Bibles, take it back to your seat, and get up now, grab one, take it to your seat, and take it home with you if you don't have a Bible. Um, We definitely want you to have a copy of the Scriptures so that you can be looking at it during the week as well. As you're finding the book of Ephesians, if you're new to the Bible, it's near the back. As you're turning there, as a kid, I grew up in uh, north of Columbus, Ohio, a town called Mount Vernon. And I remember playing with the kids, uh, neighborhood kids in, in that town, in, in our city. And it wasn't a city, town. And, um, and two doors up, two homes up from us was a little boy named PJ. And PJ was kind of this kid who who was about six years younger than me, little kid, and man, if we, we wanted to, to take a risk, we wanted to do something daring, as me and my brother, my brother's six years younger than me, we would just ask PJ to do it first, and if he survived, then we would try it, right? PJ was kind of this kid, and so we'd build ramps, and we're like, hey, PJ, why don't you go off the ramp? He's like, yeah, you know, he'd go off, we're like, sorry, man, and so we weren't going to do it, you know, if he got hurt or whatever, so this was PJ, and one thing I remember about him was I never remember seeing his parents. I never remember seeing his mom and dad around. In fact, PJ, two doors up, his mom and dad didn't live two doors up. His grandparents lived two doors up. And as I was thinking about this yesterday a little bit, and I called my mom yesterday, and I said, Mom, tell me a little bit more about PJ's story. You know a little bit more than, than me. I just want to make sure what I'm going to say is right. And she said, yeah, she said, you know, PJ was this crazy little kid, kind of ornery. But she said, I'll never forget this. She said, Mark, when he was about eight or nine, I remember going to the door and there was PJ knocking on the door and tears were just streaming down his face. And he didn't know where to turn, so he came to our house. He ran two doors down and there's PJ in front of the door crying. And he says to my mom, he says, I don't know what to do. My mom's left me. All of us have witnessed or experienced in our lives the deep wounds, the deep wounds that can come from broken marriage. We've all been there. We've all experienced it, maybe even personally, or we've experienced it in our family. And a lot of times what happens from a broken marriage, you end up with a broken family, absentee dad, single moms, child custody, guilt, blame, years of bitterness, and definitely tears on a pillow. I mean, I don't have to explain to you or to try to prove to you today that there's a problem. The real question, though, is, is is there a solution? Yes. Is there hope? Yes. I firmly believe there's hope. Is there good news? Is, Is there a way for a husband and a wife who maybe got married for all the wrong reasons Is there a way for a husband and a wife to actually learn to like each other? And to not just like each other, but actually love each other? And to not just survive in marriage, but to actually thrive? Is there a way? I believe there absolutely is a way. And this way involves a certain kind of woman, and we 
discussed and discovered what kind of woman or wife this takes. And we discovered and discussed that three weeks ago on Mother's Day. And this way involves a certain kind of man, a husband, a certain kind of husband, one who's willing to fight. John Eldridge in his book said this, he said, deep in his heart, every man longs for a battle to fight, an adventure to live, and a beauty to rescue. If we're going to stop the bleeding of the broken marriage epidemic, then it's going to require a certain kind of man, a certain kind of husband, one who's willing to fight, not with a game controller and buttons and fake guns and fake people all lived out on a TV screen, but I'm talking about a real fight. I mean a real fight, a real adventure. It's going to take a kind of man who's willing to fight, and he understands that this fight could, he could end up wounded from the fight. But yet, he's still willing to fight because he knows what's at stake. He knows what's at stake. He knows that the glory of his own name is on the line. He knows that the glory of his own family, the glory of his own wife, and the glory of Christ is on the line. And so he's willing to fight. He's willing to fight. If we're going to find this way, if we're going to change the way the thing, that things are when it comes to marriages today, it's going to involve a man, a husband, who's willing to stand, to stay, and to fight. And this morning, the Apostle Paul is going to speak specifically to the men this morning, specifically to husbands. And he's, he's going to call us, fellas, he's going to call us to battle. He's going to call us to fight. He's going to call us to live an adventure and to rescue a beauty, and that beauty is the glory of his own name as it's displayed in marriage. This morning, we're going to continue our series Inside Out, and if you're new to Living Church this morning, let me just kind of give you a quick recap of where we've been. For the past couple months, we've been looking at this book of Ephesians. The book of Ephesians is actually a letter that was written in the first century by one of the greatest missionaries to ever walk the planet. His name is the Apostle Paul. And he writes this letter to a group of Christians, a church in a city called Ephesus. You can find Ephesus today in modern-day Turkey. Now, Ephesus was kind of like a a first-century Vegas. Whatever happened in Ephesus stayed in Ephesus. That's the way it was. It was a kind of this sex-crazy, sexual perversion, greed, abuse of power kind of city. The goddess... Artemis was the key religion of the time, and she was the goddess of fertility, the goddess of sex. And some historians believe that there were priestesses at the temple of Artemis, which was the seven wonders of the world at the time. There were priestesses there who would operate as prostitutes. And so, a man living in Ephesus, and people not just from Ephesus, but from all over the world would come to Ephesus to worship Artemis. And so it's very plausible and possible and likely that a man who lived in Ephesus or from somewhere other part of the world, when he landed in Ephesus, he knew exactly what he was going to go to do. He knew. He was going down to the temple, and he would say, I'm going to church today. And everybody knew what he was going to go do at the temple. That was the city in which this church lived And so you can imagine, as a follower of Jesus, you know you need to be committed to your wife, committed to your husband. You know you're trying to resist the lure that's so strong, that's so inviting. And so these people, these Christians, this church, they they were in a battle. They were in a fight. 
And Paul, who's in prison at the time, receives word that this church is struggling or that, the, that they're in a battle, they're fighting for the glory of Christ in the midst of a city that's so depraved and so separate from Christ, so desperate for him. He receives word that they're struggling, so he writes them a letter. And the letter is to fuel them for the fight. And he begins the letter, and you can read it in chapter 1. He begins by reminding them that although you may live in the city of Ephesus, you really have a new address, and that address is inside Christ. Because in chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, he calls them saints, and he takes them back inside Christ. He says, that moment, yes, you too used to live like everybody in Ephesus, gratifying your own nature, selfishly looking at different kind of pleasures and all this, trying to satisfy that longing in your heart. But when the message of Jesus Christ came to you and you believed Christ and you repented of your sin and put your faith in Christ and what he did for you on the cross and three days later when he came into you, you came into him and now inside him you have a new view of life. You see everything differently. You see everything from inside Christ out. He gives you a new identity. Now you're not trying to find your identity in your marriage or being a husband, being a wife, or in your business, or success, or pleasure, or power, or money. That identity's already been satisfied inside Christ. So Paul reminds them, you're here. This is where you really live. You're inside Jesus. You have a new identity of life. You have a new view of life, and you have everything you need to live life for Christ. That's what Paul, that's where Paul begins his letter. And he starts that way, and he starts that way on purpose. He wants to remind them, this is who you really are. And now, in, from inside Christ, this is what it looks like in the outside life. And then he continues his letter, and he begins to describe to them what it looks like to live inside Christ in the married life. And three weeks ago, we looked at what does a wife inside Christ look like. And this morning, we want to look at what does a husband inside Christ look like. Fellas, if you want to fight for something, fight for your wife. Fight for your marriage. If you really want to live an adventure, you really want a beauty to rescue, fight for her, for your marriage. Fight for the beauty and the glory of Christ and the redemption of Christ as it is displayed in the beauty of marriage. That's something to fight for. It's something to fight for. So how do we do this, fellas? And listen, I'm up here not as some guy that's got it all together. Okay, three weeks ago, let me give you an example of how I'm a failure at, at this, okay? Three weeks ago, I stood up here and I talked about how husbands need to listen to their wives, right? And I described how, from a woman's perspective, somebody, this lady just said that, you know, when a husband listens to his wife, it's sexy. Okay, I'm going, (laughs) awesome. Okay, so that day, that afternoon, I go home and I'm sitting on the couch watching a ball game and Andrea's in the kitchen and she's talking to me. I'm hearing her. I know she's saying stuff, but I'm watching the ball game. Grant One of our sons is downstairs. He's playing some video game or whatever. He is hearing his mom call to me, asking me the same question three or four times, right? And I'm just like, I know she's talking. I have no idea what she's saying. Not a clue. None. (laughs) And Grant's downstairs and he goes, Dad, listen, Mom's talking to you. I'm like, I am a loser. I I just told everybody else to do this and here I am. What'd you say? Oh, my bad. You know, I'm telling you this. I'm, so I don't come at you from, with this as this guy that's got it all together, okay? I'm in process with this whole thing with you guys. I'm learning this as I teach this. So I want you to know that up front. And felt single guys if, that are here this morning, um, I want you to, to really tune into this because this is the kind of man that you need to be and become. And if you're here, you're single lady, single mom, this is the kind of man that you need to be looking for. 
So how do we fight, fellas? How do we fight for our marriage? How do we fight for the glory of Christ as it's displayed in marriage? Paul tells us, Ephesians chapter 5, pick it up in verse 21. He says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Verse 25, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. Verse 28, in this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it just as Christ does the church for we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Paul is describing the relationship and the love relationship between Christ and the church, and in the midst of him describing this relationship, he gives for us principles and truths as far as how to be a husband that's inside Christ in the married life, and how to be a wife in the married life that's inside Christ. And so we looked at, as I said three weeks ago, the wives and what the wife inside Christ looks like. This morning we want to look at what does a husband inside Christ look like. How do you fight, fellas? What's it look like to fight for your wife? Well, look at verse 23. He says, For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. A husband inside Christ who fights for his wife is a husband who leads his wife. Leads his wife, for the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. The church follows Christ. Christ is leading. We are looking to Christ. Our eyes are focused on him. He's leading the way. And in the marriage relationship, fellas, you as the husband, you are to lead her. It's your responsibility. As we looked at three weeks ago, this isn't about a superiority thing or an inferiority thing. No, this is about in the organization of marriage, God has designated that the husband is the one to lead. And so the husband needs to be the leader of the marriage relationship. John MacArthur, who's a Bible study teacher um, and a pastor out in California, says this, By God's design and by God's will, clearly expressed in Scripture, the man is the head of the household. He's the leader. He's the one responsible for the success of the marriage, the success of the family, the well-being of everyone involved. It's our responsibility to fight for our wives, to lead them. Well, then how do we do that? How do I as a husband lead my wife? Well, Paul begins to reveal to us how we lead as husbands. You see, a husband inside Christ fights for his wife by leading his wife, and he leads his wife by loving his wife. By loving his wife. Look at verse 25. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church. So he mentions it one time there, verse 25. Look at verse 28. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. Second time. Again, he mentions it, verse 28. He who loves his wife loves himself. Then down in verse 33, Paul says, However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself Four times in nine verses, Paul says, fellas, husbands, love your wives. Anytime you see something like that repeated, he's trying to drive home a point. If you're going to be a husband that truly fights for his wife and fights for your marriage, you're going to be a husband that leads your wife. You're going to be a husband that leads your wife by loving your wife. 
Well, what's he mean by love? What's Paul mean there by husbands love your wives? Well, let me, before I look at what Paul means by loving your wife, let me kind of talk about how our culture typically defines love. Our, our culture defines love as an emotion primarily, like affection. We say I'm falling in love with her or I'm falling in love with him or, or I fell out of love with her, I fell out of love with him. And so what happens then when you define love as the emotion, if you don't feel that emotion anymore, you don't have to stay anymore. If the feeling's gone, you're done, right? Because that's how we define love. And so if I don't love you anymore, I don't need to stay anymore. Or if you don't love me, then I don't have to stay. That's how our culture defines love. So then what happens is the emotion of love determines our choices and our commitment, the emo- hear that again. The emotion of love in our culture defines our choices and our level of a commitment. So if my love for you is kind of waning, then I don't need to be as committed to you or I won't be as committed to you as much as I was before. And let me, let me tell you this, and, and we can see this from our culture. Emotional love has very little staying power. It has, it's what gets you married, but it will not keep you married. Emotional love has very little staying power. So what does Paul mean when he says, husbands, love your wives? This is incredible because Paul's going to raise the bar on love. He's going to completely raise it way high. And he said, yes, love is an emotion, but it's not just an emotion. The word that Paul uses here is a word that means to love unconditionally, to love unselfishly. It has little to do with emotion and much to do with choice. An act of the will. It's a love that's given regardless of the response received. Man, does that not go counter to what our culture is? So husbands, you and I are to love our wives regardless of the response we get. How in the world do you do that? I mean, that's, I read that and I go, that seems almost impossible. And you're right. Because we live in a culture that's surrounded where I will love you if you love me in return. That's not the kind of love Paul's talking about. He's saying, I will love you regardless of if you love me back. I will choose to love you even when the emotion isn't there. And even when your emotion of love toward me isn't there, I will choose to love you. One writer described it, this kind of love, it is love with 100% commitment. 100% commitment. I don't know about if, what you guys did on Memorial Day, but we grilled out. We grilled out at night, and we had some steak on the grill, which I love. All right, so we put that baby on the grill. We have that. We do all this stuff. Now, when you go shopping for a steak or something or meat or whatever, sometimes on it it has a little, little sticker, and it'll say choice. Right, choice. You track it? You guys, does it do that anymore? You guys are looking at me like, you're a moron. What? Does it still have that on there? Thank you. Okay, so I'm not like... It has it on there. It'll say choice, all right? And so what that tells me is that, and I don't go to the grocery store, okay? I hate the grocery store. I walk in, and I'm like, I'm done. I'm, I, okay, Andrew's the one that does it, it, and so thankfully. So, but one thing I know about shopping for meat is that sometimes you'll see a sticker on it say choice. Well, what's that tell you? It means it's the highest grade. It's, it's the highest quality. It's tender, juicy, juicy. and that's what, what the kind of love that Paul is talking about here. He's saying this is the choice love, and you are to love your wife with the choicest of love that's out there. So what's this choice love look like? So I'm going to fight for my wife by leading my wife. I'm going to lead my wife by loving my wife. I'm going to love my wife with this choice love. (laughs) 
What's that look like? Paul goes on to tell us. How do I do this? What kind of love is this choice love? Well, verse 25, he says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So this choice love looks like Jesus. Husbands who fight for their wives are husbands who love their wives with a supernatural love because we're talking about Christ's love. We're talking about the love of Christ. Now keep in mind who Paul is writing to. He's writing to a group of believers, a group of Christians. These are people who are inside Christ. These are people who have surrendered their lives over to Jesus. These are people who, yes, they lived like the Ephesians, gratifying the selfish pleasures, all those different things. They realized they were dead in their sins. And so realizing and hearing the gospel, the good news that Jesus saves them, that Jesus forgives them, that Jesus gives them a new identity, they surrender their lives over to Jesus, looking to his cross, to his resurrection. And when they believe Christ, they step inside Christ. And now this love that husbands can give their wives is not love that comes from them, but it's love that comes from the inside out. Inside Christ out. Romans chapter 5 tells us that the Holy Spirit, when you come inside Christ, God puts his Holy Spirit, his Spirit in you. Paul mentions that in Ephesians chapter 1 and Romans 5. 5, listen, he says, God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. So God's got this big bucket of love, right? Big, huge, ginormous bucket of love. And when you come into Christ, he pours that bucket of love inside you. I mean, he's just continuously pouring in it, pouring it into you guys. And so when you, like, I'm not really feeling the love toward her right now at all. That's when you go, Out of my love for Christ, it's not my love, it's his love through me that's going to enable me to choose to love her. It's his love, it's a supernatural love that comes from the inside out, from being inside Christ, which means you cannot love like Christ outside of Christ. You can't. You can't do this kind of love on your own. And some of you are trying and it's killing you. Because you're trying to do it in your own strength and you can't. Because you have not surrendered fully to Jesus. You have not come inside Christ. The only way you can love this way, just as Christ loved the church, is if you're first inside Jesus. And what Paul's telling us is this, that the fuel for the fight for your wife comes from inside Christ. So what's all this mean then, this supernatural love? Listen, if you're to love your wife as Christ loved the church, then Christ is the fuel for your love. Several weeks ago, I ran out of gas. I took a risk. I'm like looking at the meter, right? I'm thinking, I can do it. I'm just a couple miles from home. I think I can do it. I can do it. (sighs) Didn't do it. I hate that, you know? As a guy, you're just like, I can make this. I didn't make it. Failure. Right? And then the humble phone call, honey, I'm out of gas. Okay. She was great. All right? And I'm like, I was feeling like, man, I'm a moron. I'm rushing around, whatever. So Andrea, you know, my princess in shining armor comes and rescues me and she brings a little gas can and all this stuff and I put enough gas in the car and and I make it to the filling station I fill it up I definitely fill it all the way up right and so now I have this confidence in this piece that I'm going to make it and what happens fellas that so many of us who husbands who are inside Christ we're trying to love our wives on empty and you're thinking I can do this I can just a little bit I can do this what I mean is you're not spending any time with Jesus If you're to love your wife as Christ loved the church, you're not hanging out with Jesus, how in the world are you going to love her like Jesus? You're not spending any any time with him. 
I'm not spending, I mean, that's what happens. I, it's funny because Andrea, Andrea can tell when I'm not spending time with Jesus. She knows. She, my attitude changes. I'm more short with her. I'm, you know, not as patient. She knows. And she's told me before, right? And I love that. I don't love it when she tells me, but I love that she does tell me. All right, that makes sense. I'm like, what's, what's up? Uh, and then later I'm like, you're right. I haven't been spending time with Jesus, right? But listen, fellas, we're to love our wives as, as Christ loved the church. So Christ is the model for how we're to love our wives. If he's the model and he's the fuel for loving our wives, you cannot expect to love your wife like Christ if you're not spending time with Christ. You can't. He's the filling station for the fuel you need to love her. So you've got to frequently fill up over and over and over again in order to love her as Christ loved the church. It requires a supernatural love that comes from inside Christ. If we're going to love our wives as Christ loved the church, it also involves a sacrificial love. Look what he says, verse 25. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. He gave himself up for the church. Verse 25. Verse 23 talks about Christ, how Christ is the Savior. At the beginning of chapter 5, if you look at it there, verse 1 and 2, Paul says, Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. If you are going to love your wife as Christ loves the church, then you need to love her with a, not just a supernatural love. You've got to be inside Christ, but you're going to love her with a sacrificial love. And literally, it means to hand yourself over what Christ did. He handed himself over to death on behalf of the church. I mean, that's sacrifice, right? But think about this. When Christ sacrificed, when he gave himself up on the cross, he took something that was dead and he brought it to life. And I just want to suggest that for some of us, when your marriage feels like death, let me just encourage you guys to start loving your wife sacrificially and just maybe you might start to see a little life. Maybe. You do it anyway, regardless of her response. But if we're going to love our wives as Christ loved the church, we need to love them sacrificially. And I love that he says Jesus Christ gave himself up for her. He gave himself, right? I mean, think about that for a moment. He gave himself, right? Jesus knows that what the church needs more than anything is himself. So that's what he gives the church, Listen, apart from your wife's need for Christ, her greatest need is you, fella. She needs you. Not your money, not your stuff, although that's nice, but she needs you. Our worst year of marriage was our first year of marriage. It absolutely was the hardest for us. And I remember specifically in our little apartment in Cedarville, Ohio. I was still a student at Cedarville University. Andrew was teaching school at the time, fifth grade teacher, first year of marriage. You know, you go into marriage, oh, it's going to be awesome. And then after several months, you're like, I did not know you. And she's like, I did not know you. And so we're sitting there again. Somehow it's always with me watching TV. This is not good. So I'm sitting on the couch watching a ball game again. And, and Andrew's like in the kitchen wild. 20 years later, I still got the same issues. This is not good. So I'm just realizing this as I'm talking about it. Sorry. Um, so, so anyway, I'm on the couch watching a ball game, and Andrew's in the kitchen. She comes down and sits down on the couch. I remember this. And, I, and she's like, I just, I just want to be with you. Okay, cool. I want to be with you too. I just want to be with you, she says. It's great. Love it. I want to be with you too. 
And she keeps kind of trying to, to get me to get this clue that she wants to be with me. And I'm, on, I'm thinking, like, what do you mean? We are together. I'm on the couch watching the ball game. You're next to me talking to me. We are together. Be with you. What, and no, that was bad. Okay, failure, my part, because totally misunderstood what this whole being together thing was. What she was saying to me was like, being with you, being with me, is you fully invested. I need you. I need your attention. Not you with the remote looking again. Yeah, uh-huh. Mm-hmm, yeah, no, no, no. That's not being together. All right? That's, that's me being on the TV or watching the TV. So what she is trying to communicate to me is she needs me. And see, Jesus sacrificed himself. He gave himself for the church. That's what he gave because he understands that the greatest need of the church is him. And fellas, apart from your wife's need for Christ, her greatest need is you. Her greatest need is your attention, your investment into her. Well, how did Jesus give himself for the church? So I was thinking about this. Let me just throw some things out to you. Jesus left heaven to go after her. Guys, go after her. You went after her before you got married. Why'd you stop? Go after her. Go. Jesus left heaven to pursue the church. Pursue her. And I know life gets busy, failure, okay, and you just get so wrapped up in all this different stuff. Pursue her. Jesus pursued the church. Jesus gave himself by living among the church as a servant. Guys, do you serve your wife? Yeah, I go to work every day, pay the bills, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, get that. Awesome. Great. Great job. Keep doing it. All this. Ask her what she needs, what you could do to best serve her. Have you ever asked her? What could I do for you this week that would really help you? I mean, really serve you. You know what she's going to say? Be with me. Right? Okay? Be with her then. Serve her. Jesus served the church. He came as a servant. Jesus died for the church. Now, I'm not saying go out and kill, okay? That's not, but die to yourself. Die to yourself, to your own needs, to your own wants. Put her needs above your own. Jesus forgave the church. And fellas, some of you guys are here and you're hurting deeply because you've been hurt by the words of your wife. You've been wounded. And it's the forgiveness that you've received from Christ that will enable you to forgive her. It takes a supernatural love for you to have before you can give that supernatural love to her. And maybe you've done something to her that has hurt her. You need to seek her forgiveness. Jesus lives for the church. He's coming back for the church, which speaks of security. Guys, have you, have you developed a relationship with your wife where she's, she can feel secure with your commitment to her? Does she need to worry about you when you're hanging out with the guys? Does she need to worry about you when she goes to bed early and you're up late on the computer, on the smartphone, whatever it might be? Have you provided an element of security for you with her commitment, with your commitment to her? Take sacrifice. If we're going to love just as Christ loved the church, it involves a supernatural love, it involves a sacrificial love, and it involves a sanctifying love. Look at verse 26. He says, Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Why? To make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. Man, (laughs) that's a lot. That's why Jesus died on the cross was to make the church holy because, see, Christ is holy and holiness can't be in the presence of of unholiness. So Christ came, he left heaven, comes to earth, dies on a cross, takes upon himself the unholiness of the church so that the church can be with him forever, be in his presence. 
It's a sanctifying love. Well, how does this translate then over to being a husband inside Christ? Well, a husband who's inside Christ and who gives a sanctifying love is a husband that's going to protect his wife from those things which might hinder her growth in Christ. And then he's going to push her toward those things that will draw her to Christ. MacArthur again says this, when a husband's love for his wife is like Christ's love for his church, he will continually seek to help purify her from any sort of defilement. He will seek to protect her from the world's contamination and protect her holiness. So how do you do this? Okay, if I need to give my, love, my, my wife a sanctifying love, I, I want to set her apart. That's what makes mean, sanctification means, to set her apart for Christ. I want to present her to Christ as holy. I want her to grow in Jesus. How do I do this? How do I do this? Well, Jesus said this, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. So if you're going to set your wife apart for Christ, it begins with getting her into the Word of God. It begins with her spending time with Jesus, getting to know this Jesus. Because sanctification begins with the Word of God. Jesus didn't just sacrifice for the church. He's the one that sanctifies the church. Husband, you're not loving your wife if you are keeping her from the Word. You're not. If you're a husband inside Christ, you're not loving her. You're not loving her with a sanctifying love if you're not providing opportunities for her to grow in knowing who Jesus is. And guys, it's on us to lead them spiritually. The church looks to Jesus to lead her spiritually. Your wife looks to you to do the same. To do the same. And it starts with you and your own relationship with Jesus. So guys, how are you and Jesus doing? Are you in the Word? You can't lead her spiritually to go in love with Jesus, to, to, to grow in Jesus, if you're not there. It starts with you. And then let me ask you this, guys, with a sanctifying love, who's more concerned about getting the family to be with the church, to spend time with those that will sharpen them in Christ? You or her? Are you praying with her, for her, asking her what God is teaching her, giving her time with Jesus and his word and so you can present her to himself as holy, as growing in him. I read this question, and it was convicting today, or this week. He says, is your wife more like Christ because she's married to you? Ask her. Be ready for the honest answer. And ladies, you need to answer honestly. Would she say that she's grown closer to Jesus because of you and how you lead and how you provide for her? Recently, three of my kids bought hamsters. They wanted hamsters. And so, two hamsters are in the girls' room, one's in, in Luke's room. The family's away for the weekend. So, you know whose responsibility is to take care of these little guys? Me, right? I'm not a big hamster fan. Okay? And my kids know it. They were worried, I think, that they were leaving their hamsters in the care of dad. All right? I could care less if they survive. <laughs> I, I, I really could, honestly. Um, just being upfront and honest. Sorry, kids. Um, but because I love my kids, I want to make sure those little guys are taken care of, right? So last night I go into the room and I make sure I start talking to them. I'm like, this is crazy. So I start talking to them, make sure they got a little food in their little bowl, right? And then I go into the other one and make sure he, this one's got little food and this one's like gnawing on the cage. I'm like, dude, you're going to like trying to escape or what? Okay, I, I honestly, I could care less about these little hamsters. 
But I care for these little hamsters because I love my kids. I want my kids to come home and I want them to say, Dad, thanks so much for taking care of Smokey. Awesome. Great. Dad, thanks for feeding them. Dad, did you watch them? Did you and I want to say, yes, I did. Because I love my kids. I want to present these hamsters to my kids, and I want my kids to go, thank you for taking care of them. Now, in no way am I suggesting wives are like hamsters, although they sometimes have teeth that bite that cause people to bleed. Okay, sorry. All right, so what I'm trying to communicate here is, fellas, we have a responsibility to take care of our wives, to make sure that we're presenting them to Christ, that we're feeding them spiritually, that we're helping them grow toward Christ. And grow in knowing Christ. It involves a sanctifying love. And lastly, it's a selfish love. It's a selfish love. You're going to fight for your wife. You're going to fight for her by leading her, by loving her with a supernatural love, with a sacrificial love, a sanctifying love, and finally a selfish love. Look what Paul says in verse 20, 28. In the same way husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies, he who loves his wife loves himself. Verse 29, after all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it just as Christ does the church. Verse 31, Paul quotes God himself from Genesis 2. He says, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. And then verse 33, however, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself. But what do I mean by selfish love? Well, it comes from how God sees marriage. Husbands and wives, God sees you as one. You're one, so when you love your wife, you're loving you. But when you're neglecting your wife, you're neglecting you. You need to feed your wife in the sense of you need to bring her to maturity in her walk with Jesus. You need to care for her. And that word care speaks of providing warmth, providing warmth, meeting her needs. Not every want, but every need. Listen, if I'm cold, I'm going to build a fire. This winter was a brutal cold. I'm not going out there in my shorts and my T-shirt. Okay, I'm getting the scarf on, the, you know, the, the coat, the winter coat, the big parka, whatever. Because I, I don't want to be cold. I'll do whatever it takes to make sure I'm warm. And fellas, if your wife is cold toward you, if she's cold toward Jesus, you need to do whatever it takes to get her warmed up. It's on you. You need to do whatever it takes. It's a selfish kind of love, making her secure with your commitment. Listen, I don't have to try to prove to you that we need something, we need another way when it comes to marriage. We need another way, and there is a way. It's called the gospel way. It's called the Jesus way. And I look at this list and I go, man, I fail, right? But here's where the beauty of the gospel steps in, and I love it. Because, see, when I love my wife as Christ loved the church, and I'm doing all I can, I'm going to fail. I I am. But I know that because of Christ, my identity is not wrapped up in how I am as a husband. My identity is wrapped up in who I am in Christ. That's my, where my identity is found. And so when I fail, I know that, you know what? I need to go confess to her, tell her I'm sorry. I need to tell God I'm sorry. And there is grace replenished and renewed every morning for me as a husband to keep loving her as Christ loved the church. It's his love that bucket poured into me that now I pour into her. And it's gospel love. It's, it's his love in us and his love that we have through him that enables us to love her. I mean, what does a husband inside Christ look like? 
He's a man who fights for his wife by leading his wife, and he leads his wife by loving his wife, and he loves his wife with a supernatural, sacrificial, sanctifying, selfish love. Can you just imagine a movement of men, a movement of husbands who will fight, who will fight for their wives and love this way, who will fight to restore the beauty and the glory of Christ and his redemption as is displayed in marriage? Can you imagine what that would look like? Imagine that. And if you're here, fella, and you're here outside Christ, the first response for you is is to surrender because you cannot love this way outside of Christ. You can't. And so I want to encourage you this morning to surrender to Christ, to come inside Christ, confess your sin, repent of your sin against Christ through his blood that we sang about, through his cross, receive his forgiveness and step inside him. And when you step inside him, he gives you all you need to love her as Christ loved the church. And if you're here inside Christ, fellas, look around, step inside Christ. That's where you are. Look around at what he's given you, who you are in him and who he's made you to be. And as you reflect and remember all that you have inside Christ, he then, through his grace, will empower you to love her as Christ loves the church. I want all the guys, all the guys to stand. I want to pray over you this morning as we close. I want to pray over you this morning. Deep in his heart, every man longs for a battle to fight, an adventure to live, and a beauty to rescue, and it all starts inside Christ from the inside out. Fellas, lead. Together, let's love, let's fight. Father, thank you for the truth of your word. And Father, I confess my own sins that I need help. I need to love Andrea as you, Lord Jesus, love the church and as you love me. And so may I turn my eyes to you, Lord Jesus. And through you, may I love her as you have expressed your love to me. I pray for the men here this morning. God, I pray for strength for them, for perseverance for endurance. God, I pray that some of these guys who need to go home and they need to sit their wives down, they need to tell them they're sorry, I pray that you'd give them the boldness and the courage to do that. God, I pray that from this morning would be the first step in seeing marriages restored. And God, for those that are here this morning that may not be married, they long to be married, God, may they always look to you, Jesus. May they turn to you. And for the guys, help us to become the men that you have created us to become. And may we fight for your glory as it's displayed in marriage. And God, help us to be men who will fight for your name, for your glory, for your redemption as it's displayed in marriage. Amen.